are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you carved out 25 minutes and change to study God's word with us. We just finished up a series on vision, and in just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the parable where Jesus warns us not to point out the speck in our brother's eye while neglecting the plank in our own. And that brings up a powerful truth, and that is this, that someone else's sin is always more sickening than our own. And I use the illustration that if you're about to sit down and eat your dinner and one of your hairs falls into it, it's kind of gross and you have to pick it out, but you'll continue to eat your meal. But If you have brown hair and there's a blonde hair in there, there is no way you're going to eat that. It's absolutely disgusting, insidious, and you just press it down and say, yo, you got to cook this all over again. At least that's how I am. And that kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a bad, it's it's a bad analogy or, or a small one, but it helps us understand that we, what we see somebody else struggling with, we always have like a different set of lenses, the way that we look at ourselves and the way we look at them. But it got me thinking about the subject of sin. And sin is something that we don't hear that often in the church. But it will literally rob you of your strength and separate you from God. And so I wanted to talk about this because the enemy is working full tilt on this world to bring it down. And I thought the other day um, of this. Who determines what is good? Do we determine what is good or does God determine what is good? Who determines what is sin? Do we determine what is sin or does God determine what is sin? And I want to use this analogy to help you help you uh, wrap your head around this, okay? If you took a movie, all right, that most Christians are comfortable watching, and let's say that you showed it to a group of believers, okay, fellow Christians from the 1950s, what would happen? probably, okay, I'm not a betting man, but I'd be willing to bet, most of those believers would end up walking out of theater. Why? Because our standard of good in our culture has changed from the 1950s. Well, does good change? The answer to that question is no. Good and evil Sin is determined according to the foundation of God's word. It is our true north. Okay, it is the foundation of our lives, and that's why it's so important that we're in the Word of God, because if we judge according to the seeing of our eyes and our taste, okay, we're gonna, it's going to end up in error. And to open up this point, I wanted to define what sin is, because that's a word, it's a little word that has big implications and gets tossed around in the church all over the place. So what is sin? Sin is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God or his word over all things. The Bible puts it like this. This is the warning. In Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I want you to think about that. There's a way that seems right, seems good, it seems beneficial, okay? It seems favorable to a man, but in the end, 
it leads to death. You know what that tells me? The path to hell looks good. And if I were to discern according to my own eye, I may take that path. See, the Bible has a lot to say. There are a lot of warnings in Scripture. And we do ourselves a disservice when we don't heed those warnings, right? Can you imagine if I got out on the interstate and I didn't pay attention to any of the lights, I didn't pay attention to any of the signs, and I just did what I thought was right and what felt right? I would end up in an accident. I could even end up losing my life. This is the warning, these, this is the warning that Scripture is giving us here. And look, there's no different all the way back in the beginning, in Genesis. Listen to this, Genesis 3, 6. When Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And that led to the sin of mankind. Sin entered the world through disobedience. But I want you to, to hear this because sometimes we have this idea of sin that is just this ugly thing and that we're going to be able to discern and walk away from it. But listen to these words. Eve saw that the tree was good according to her own perspective. Okay? And she tasted and ate. So what Eve thought she was doing in that moment was a good thing, but it wasn't a God thing. See, the enemy had deceived her, interestingly enough, using God's word, which is why it's so important that we're rooted in God's word. Now, the problem with deception is this. You believe with all your heart you are right, and in reality, you are wrong. So how do we prevent ourselves from being deceived? The Bible warns us not to lean on our own understanding, but to be in God's word. Interestingly enough, this is, this, this is Satan's played out strategy. He went to Eve. He had never used it before. And Eve fell victim to this deception and thought that she had the ability to discern what was good and what was evil in her life. She did not. And as a result, sin fell into man. And then the enemy tried to do the very same thing to Jesus. Remember when Jesus was fasting 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and he came to tempt him? He tempted him by twisting God's word. But Jesus knew the word and was able to stand firm and not come under the deception of the enemy. Why is this important? Jude 1.4 tells us, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Right now you may be thinking, whoa, man, this is like a heavy subject. And it is. Sin is a weighty thing. It's a heavy thing. My father always used to say, sin will always take you further than you want to go. So you'll look at it initially and it'll look enticing. It'll look uh, pleasurable, desirable. But in the end, it'll lead to destruction. 
You know, there's not a lot of people, unfortunately, anymore preaching out of Jude. But I would encourage you, it's a small book, to read that word. And there's so many warnings in there. But this is literally telling us that there are going to be ungodly people, people that aren't founding their, their foundation in the word, people that are not serving God. They're going to worm their way into the church. It says it right here. And they're going to try to convince you that God's grace gives you permission to live in a moral life. When the opposite is actually true. God's grace empowers you to, to be able to live a moral life. To take you beyond what you're capable of in the natural Okay, holiness isn't behavior modification. It's not pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. But as we behold God, we become more like him. He multiplies his grace into our life, taking us beyond our natural ability. See, this is how we become apathetic to sin. And what we tolerate, we endorse. What we remain silent on, we endorse. John Piper said it like this, why is it that people can become emotionally and morally indignant over poverty, exploitation, prejudice, abortion, and infractions of religious liberty and manifold injustices against man against man and yet feel little or no remorse, no indignation, no outrage that God is disregarded disbelieved, disobeyed, dishonored, and thus belittled by millions and millions of people in the world? And the answer is sin. And that is the ultimate outrage of the universe. Again, you may be saying, wow, what did I tune into today? But I I couldn't, with a clear conscience, go before my creator, my master, when he takes inventory of the life that he's called me to live and say, why didn't you warn them? And it's much better that you hear it so that you can do something about it so that you don't fall under the deception because the Bible warns us that even in the end days, even the elect can be deceived. So what does sin do? Sin Psalm 31.10, sin has drained my strength and I am wasting away from within. Sin will rob you of your strength. The Bible warns us in Hebrews 3.13, brethren, exhort one another daily. This is why it's so important that we meet together. Okay, not, not just on a Sunday morning, but we meet together on a daily basis. While it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So this is a warning. By not meeting together, by not being transparent, vulnerable, and honest, living in the light, we can get into a place where our hearts become hardened and we fall under the deceitfulness of sin. What is deceitfulness? Dishonest, untruthful, false, and misleading. In other words, if we neglect the truth, if we avoid being in relationship and communion, community with other believers and fellowship, we can open ourselves up through deceit to follow sin.
Now I want to talk to you because this is always what happens. This is heavy, Matt. I feel like you're putting something on me. Okay, I want to talk to you about how we should receive correction because correction is good. The Bible says in, in, in Proverbs, he who hates correction is stupid. Go look it up. <laughs> that, that's the language. And I'm not using some obscure translation. That's in the NIV. It says he who hates correction is stupid. Why? Because correction is the path to the best life that God has for us. He corrects whom he loves. So we should be sitting on the edge of our seat waiting for that correction, even though it may sting a little bit. It stings our pride, but we should be open so that we can see it as a path to growth. But the difference between, the con I want to talk to you about the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because as a believer, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Okay, condemnation is the enemy's tactic to say, see, you don't measure up and try to pull you away from God. Try to get you to run and hide. But conviction is simply this is simply, man, I was doing it the wrong way, which results in repentance, which means to turn away and to embrace God's truth. See, we all have a conscience, right? And the Greek definition of a conscience is moral awareness or a moral consciousness, all right? Webster's defines our conscience when something doesn't feel right or we shouldn't do that or we should do that. It defines it like this, an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the righteousness, righteous, rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. Excuse me. Listen to what 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2 says. Now the Spirit expresses, expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits Remember, we talked about that word just in Hebrews. And teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. See, our conscience was put there by God. It's that feeling you get when you lie and you know that it's wrong. Or feeling you get when you do something wrong and you know that you're, you're not supposed to do it. That's your conscience saying it's like a conviction Okay, you need to turn away from that and, and make this right and do the right thing. The problem with that, that can be is when you try to blanket that and say, no, it's okay. And that's what Timothy is trying to tell us here. You can sear your conscience. And so, again, 1 Timothy 4.12, the sincerity of liars whose consciences, conscience are seared. You can sear your conscience, meaning that what, what used to feel wrong can all of a sudden feel right. And then you have you don't have that conviction anymore. So I want I want you to say this, okay? When you sin, your 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 vantage point shouldn't be to run from God, it should be to run to God. Okay? Think about it when your father, you shouldn't say, I gotta hide this from my father, but I need to run and share this with my father so that he can help me get through this. Conviction provides a way out. Condemnation traps you. Conviction brings hope. Condemnation brings hopelessness. Conviction addresses sin. Condemnation accuses a person. So in other words, if you make a mistake, you are that mistake. And that's how the enemy tries to get you to separate you from God. Condemnation leads you away from God and conviction leads you to him. 
Condemnation leads to shame, and conviction leads to repentance. This is why it is so important that we confront and correct sin. Okay, a lot. There's there's a word. You know, everybody's talking about love. You know, love a lot, but love speaks the truth. If I love my child, okay, I'm not going to let him run around with a knife, even though he may want to do that and stick it in in an outlet. I'm not going to let him do that because he could bring harm to himself. And you could say, well, that's not loving. Well, actually, we know that the opposite is true. And you may say that's an extreme example, but, but it's not. If we care about someone, we're going to share the truth with them. See, Proverbs 28, 13 says this, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. God cannot heal what you conceal. We were meant to be children of the light, living in the light. So we need to bring those things into the light so that God can work with us and bring, that, bring our impurities to the surface so that he can remove them and we can move forward becoming more like him, the process of sanctification. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, and this is something I really want to hit on, okay? Because I see this inside of churches, I see this inside of the world, and I believe that this is deceiving for many believers in, in, in the world in general. Okay, this is 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In other words, there is a sorrow of the world. I have seen people come forward, okay, in an altar call or come forward um, in just admitting something that they were a part of, and they had tears, but they were tears of worldly sorrow. In other words, what is that? That means they didn't want to get busted. They knew what they did was wrong, and they were thinking about, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my wife because I cheated on her. So the, the, the tears were all about them. Godly sorrow is when you know that you've grieved and hurt the heart of God. It's when you become concerned over how your sin is hurting God and others, and the focus of worldly sorrow um, I'm sorry, and the focus of your sorrow is to repent and shift from fear to love. Titus 2.14 says this. He, so in, in knowing this, when we, when we have this godly sorrow, when we repent, Jesus welcomes us with open arms. Titus 2.14, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us. Romans 6, 6 through 7, we are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free from the power of sin. So sin no longer has dominion and control over my life, but I have to make sure that I don't open the door to it. I have to be vigilant against it. Psalm 103.12 says, He has removed our sins as far as from the east is from the west. So when we acknowledge and repent and confess our sin, okay, God remembers it no, no more. The enemy will try to remind you of the sins of your past to get you to be in the sins in the future. But God says the slate has been wiped clean. The atonement on the cross was enough. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed. You have been born 
again, the difference between conviction and condemnation. So I want to end with this, okay? 1 Timothy 1.5. I've given you a lot of scriptures because this is so important for you to get this inside of your spirit. Sin is real, okay? It will separate you from everything that you love in this world. It will destroy your life. It will take you further than you ever wanted to go. But you can have victory over sin. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Hebrews 4.16, so let us come boldly to the throne of God, our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God's grace empowers us to be able to live a life that is above sin, to not return back to our vomit of the way that we lived our lives. God has so much more for you and he wants you to have victory. He saved you from the bondage of sin. You don't have to be chained to that addiction any longer. Christ has paid the price. You can be set free and the answer is to fully give yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. And I love this. It also says, it also says that he gives, we'll receive mercy. And that's something that we don't talk about a lot, but thank God for his mercy because we deserved hell. Every single one of us have fallen short. We were born in sin, but the Bible says, yet as we were still sinners, Christ gave his life for us. And we can receive that beautiful gift when we repent of our wickedness and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We become sons and daughters of God. And we should want nothing to do with sin anymore. We should be pursuing holiness, the life that God intended for each and every single one of us. That's what God has for you. And so I want to take this moment to pray over every single person that's listening, that's watching. So you can close your eyes, you can, open, you can open your hands up unless you're driving. But dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every single person under the sound of my voice. And I pray that these scriptures would penetrate their heart, that they would see that they have victory over sin, that they don't have to be um, bound to it any longer, and that they wouldn't be casual with it. They wouldn't tolerate it, Father, but they would be vigilant to cut it out of their life. God, I pray that you would multiply your grace and your mercy into their lives so they can walk in the fullness of what you intended. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.